1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: This hour is brought to you by Team Hockberg. Visit their website 56david.com. That's 56david.com. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2
1: on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com and Odyssey Station. I don't necessarily feel like we're ways off right now from where we were last year. I really don't. Even though the record's flipped a little bit because some of those games went our way. And I think for our tourists, he's not looking at, oh, Memphis, oh, Portland, oh, the Clippers, boy, you know. No, I think he's looking at it from a a very overhead view of the team. And my guess would be that it would have to make sense to help our team get better and make sense in terms of the deal and, you know, what, what would be going on and all those kind of things.
2: That's Billy Donovan who has to talk for our tourist more often than not because he's really the only part of the organization who talks and he's great at it but maybe that's why you get a contract extension because they know just how much work you do as a frontman shielding everybody else from heat and scrutiny.
3: He's been doing I I think Billy does that very he's well. He's great at that. He's 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 a competent executive that's really good at in some cases, saying nothing, but in some cases, saying stuff that needs to be said that other people can't or won't to
2: say. Cody Westerland reports on the Bulls for The Score. He's also the editor of 670thescore.com. He's and he's handsome! Twitter at Cody Westerland. Well, you can check him out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago670thescore, and he's on The Score Hotline. Presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. Cody, what's up, man?
3: How
4: are you guys doing today? We're good. Uh, how how injured is DeMar DeRozan? I don't think he's he's too injured, right? Like Billy Donovan went pretty much went out of his way, to, to emphasize the other night, it was a hip issue, not trade possibilities that had DeMar out of the lineup. So uh, knowing DeMar, I would guess he would be in the lineup tonight uh, against the Nets. I don't believe the Bulls have a shoot around, so probably learn a little bit more closer to game time tonight.
2: What do you know about the the veracity of the what was floated last evening about the Bulls' potential interest in a bought out Russell Westbrook?
4: I don't know much yet. I really don't. Um, it's weird too when these when these reports come out, right? Because he's not even on the buyout market yet. This wouldn't materialize for a little bit with with Russ hitting that buyout market, probably um, as it pertains to to these teams. Um, trying to sign him. So sometimes this is just simply agents drumming up interest, right? And that can even get another team that's interested. Like we know the Clippers will probably be interested in Russell Westbrook as well. Maybe they'll offer a little bit more money than the minimum prorated or something like that because they know he has other interests. And look, Chris Haynes is, is a great reporter. It makes sense that the bulls would be interested in Russell Westbrook. I don't know that, um, it makes sense to have a union of these sides. So I'm, I'm probably in the stay away from Russ camp. I think it would be highly entertaining. I think fans would love Russell Westbrook because of how hard he plays and how complacent the Bulls have been at times this year. Like, There's no doubt that it would be good entertainment value for the remainder of the season, but I don't think it's what's best for the players on this roster at the time as you look forward.
3: Okay, over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed, and I'm not there as much as you are, but I have noticed that Lonzo's name continues to come up and look they're not overplaying it it's just been more evident that people are willing to talk about what the loss of Lonzo Ball has meant do you think that that how much of a role does that play in what they do or don't do at the trade deadline
4: I don't I don't think anything with Lonzo that they're doing this year should pertain that much to this year right like if you're gonna go get help that's the thing like you throw Russell Westbrook in there; it's in the mix for a couple months, right? Like the Bulls could somehow thread a needle to add a point guard option off the bench now, who would still be under contract for next year. That would be more helpful to me. So uh, it matters, but like that's the thing. Like this is just where the the disconnect is, I think, from the Bulls and from how what I would look at and how a lot of us outsiders are looking at. Like They need to be planning for next year already with some of these moves. It's not just a stopgap for two months so you can lose in six games instead of four games in a first-round series or something. But that seems to be how they have been viewing it. But they should be looking at it through a prism of get a guy who's also under contract control for next year who could provide some depth. So I think that needs to factor into it. I'm just not sure how much it is going to factor into it.
2: We've got another trade crossing the wires right now. Sean Sharania says the Milwaukee Bucks are acquiring Jay Crowder from the Brooklyn Nets. They've been trying desperately to get Jay Crowder. For five second-round picks. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Why are you laughing? Five of them. It's just a lot. Like yeah, I was that's just that's thinking to myself the other day, Like second-round picks, like, no one really truly cares about them, it doesn't seem like, unless they're in the 31, 32, 33, 34 range there, right at the start of the second round. They're almost just like a public relations tool, right? Like you throw in a couple round, second round picks to make your fans feel a little bit better when you're giving up um, the, the better player in the deal. If you're giving up the better player and get a couple extra second round picks in it, like it just always makes everyone feel a little bit better is what it seems like. And in this case, it landed the Bucks a very, very useful player um, for their championship push. So, I mean, I, I think that was uh, riding was on the wall as Lawrence and you, uh, you mentioned for, for weeks. So he should slot in very well there. Well,
3: I, I would love to know what your opinion is after seeing the developments last night with Kevin Durant. Obviously, earlier this week, Kyrie Irving moved uh, to, to Dallas. I still look at the teams out west and I go, I don't know if any of them really match up with the top three teams in the East, especially now you add Jay Crowder, which is a piece that they've really needed in Milwaukee. What do you see when you see the trades out West and, and, and them beating each other up to run into Boston or Milwaukee or Philadelphia at the end of it?
4: Yeah, I like all three teams in the East better still, especially like you mentioned. I mean, with, with Crowder going to the Bucks, that's that's good depth, a good piece for them. The 76ers have been playing really good basketball. The Celtics have been the best team in the NBA almost all season here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've thought all along, and this isn't like rocket science when you look at the standings, but the Nuggets, to me, have been elevated a level above everyone else in the West. And a lot of people have said, like, the Warriors, defending champs, their starting five is still just absolutely phenomenal together. But to me, the NBA... More often than not, like it's not a sport where someone gets hot at the end, like in baseball, obviously. We've seen it in football with wildcard teams, too, just getting hot, playing their best football at the end of the year. Basketball is about that continuity, what you've established. The series are long. Favorites tend to win. So that's why I still like the Nuggets out west, even though KD is going to the Suns. And look, that Suns-Nets trade, I think both sides did a pretty good deal, all things considered because the Suns are getting a star that you got 3 more contract, 3 more years of control on the on the contract. And I did like what the Nets got back in that trade considering it was such a tough situation, but I still like the Nuggets out west right now. And then the east, like those are 3 teams. Any of those 3 teams I think can make the finals. That's why the race for the 1 seed so important in the east right now. The Celtics up a game and a half on the Bucks. You'd rather be able to cruise into the east finals and not have that really really hard semifinal series that that the 2-3 matchup seems like it'll provide in the East.
2: Do you think my desire for Bulls' clarity of some kind, one way or another, is going to be satisfied within the next
4: day? No, I don't think so, Dan. Because, look, I, I don't expect a big trade today, right? If there is a big trade, I think we'll have an answer. But if we're operating under the presumption that that doesn't happen in the next three hours and then Arturis Karnishevis goes out and talks to the media, they're clearly going to say they still care about the remainder of this season, and then the big potential moves would be in the summer, and they're not going to reveal in the summer what they're going to do or which way they could be hedging, right? Like, they could throw Zach Levine in trade talks today, and we don't hear about it, and then a move gets made in the summer, and we'd have clarity. Same thing could go for DeMar DeRozan. Um, They keep... Nikola Vucevic, I think maybe you get a little clarity today on him because they obviously need to be pretty committed to signing him or thinking that they could sign and trade him so he doesn't leave for nothing in the offseason. So maybe a little clarity on Vuce. And I don't know, Dan, you tell me, if getting clarity on Vuce leads to a little bit more clarity for the future, it, maybe some a of little, that gets answered for you. Yeah, a
2: little. I mean, if they've already had talks about what they think his intentions are, it shows how how far they're thinking I just I, I, I want to know what they think they're trying to win and when there's another minor deal that just crossed Adrian Wojnarowski says the Lakers are trading Thomas Bryant to the Nuggets for Devon Reed and three second round picks second round picks are flying wow. off the shelves today Well, wow, the penny candy of, of second round picks it- boy Cody, well, it,
4: it looks like the Nuggets don't need a, a backup center for Andre Drummond now if uh, if he's on the market. That's my only analysis there of, of that trade. Is there anything that
3: happened over the last week that you think opens up a lane for for DeMar DeRozan or um, Vooch where now the teams are moving into different points on their, their sliding scale of where they're at? Does it open things up or is everything as it was – four days ago.
4: Uh, I don't think too much opens up. I know you guys were talking earlier about the possibility of DeMar DeRozan going to the Nets, probably far-fetched, but like it makes sense conceptually, right, if, if that team wanted to still compete. And I don't know how much the Bulls could get from the Nets. Obviously, a first-round pick or, or two would be involved in that trade, I would think. But that's the one team I'm looking at. The Suns had been rumored – maybe as an outside destination for for DeMar DeRozan when you're just kind of speculating. The Clippers, I don't feel like is a fit now Um, for DeMar. The Lakers, he's been tied to a lot, obviously made the big trade yesterday, so that's out. So I don't think a whole lot has changed or opened up unless um, we sit here and look at the Nets and and see what they want to do, but I would expect them to probably stay out of the DeMar sweepstakes. So I don't think a great deal's changed in the center market. We've seen this. I mean, there's several deals today. Mike Muscala is going to the uh, from the Thunder to the Celtics. It seems like the backup, the, the center market's more focused on backups, right? Or, or bit players, role players, how they can fit for a 10-, 12 minute stretch mm-hmm. um, in a playoff setting, rather than someone going and getting Vooch and being like, yeah, he's going to play thirty five minutes for us in the playoffs. So I don't expect a lot there.
2: Well, that to me is the hook with Andre Drummond. Like that, yeah. I keep thinking, like if you can find a team that thinks it needs eight to ten minutes a game of just massive size that he could be tantalizing for someone's like, yeah, we if, if there's a big body that we just need to have someone stand in front of and around in a specific playoff series, specific matchup, do you and I know that's why you just mentioned with the Thomas Bryant deal, that that's yeah. kind of how I look at trying to find somebody who might be hungry for Drummond.
4: Yeah, so the Celtics were an option there until they got Mascala, and obviously he's not as big as Drummond. He's, he's more of a shooter, so maybe they're still interested in another big band, but I would think not. Um, Drummond's been on the 76ers before. They seem to enjoy him, but I just I would think they probably want to play small when Joel Embiid's off the floor for the eight minutes a game. He'll be off the floor in the playoffs, but like they've been shopping. Matisse Thibel, Um obviously a guy they could move it at some point today. Um, So you're looking at Nuggets out of the picture, Celtics out of the picture. I I don't know. It it would probably be a surprise team that pops up at this point for Drummond. And again, if you're the Bulls and it's an Andre Drummond trade, maybe you're just trying to pick up a future second round pick because they have hardly any second round picks at this point. I think one available to them or you're looking at a guy that's number nine, number 10, number 11 in your rotation as a fringe player.
3: I get that Memphis is one of the best teams in the league record wise they had been struggling coming into the game against the bulls what i didn't like is that they they were kind of easily more physical than the bulls were in that game and it took a really long time for the bulls to respond and by the time that they did they they
4: ended up using all that energy and being blown out in the fourth quarter the bulls were completely overwhelmed at the start by like you mentioned the physicality but also the the speed of the Grizzlies, when they covered uh, defensively just in rotations. I mean, there were two or three times in that early in that game where right? I remember the Bulls swinging the ball to the corner and it'd usually be an open shot for someone, right? And Dylan Brooks would recover to the corner or Desmond Bain would recover to the corner or wing the pass that should have someone open. So uh, certainly that's why the Bulls, when they didn't have DeMar DeRozan the other night, played their yep. uh, worst, lowest scoring game of the season. The first and fourth quarters were lowest scoring quarters. They really just had one good one, so that's something that when the Grizzlies ratchet it up, it's it's fun to watch because they're young, they're hungry, they're fast, they're quick, they're ferocious. They yell at everyone, and when they wanted to play the other night against the Bulls, they did and took care of business.
2: However, I liked the way the ball moved in the third. Yeah. The the the, the DeMarless Bulls. Did, when they're moving the ball, like it wasn't all bad. I also don't think a lot of those missed shots were bad shots. It was the combination of the the Grizzlies doing what they do and the Bulls really just objectively having in a vacuum a bad shooting night.
4: Yeah, certainly. And I mean, a lot of those shots that were available with DeRozan out went to Vooch, and I think he's 12-26, of which um, slightly below his efficiency lately, but considering Jaron Jackson Jr. was manning the middle, uh, for the Grizzlies and blocking everything, it, it was a pretty strong night from Vooch. And then you look, Patrick Williams didn't take enough shots still, but it felt like he was still trying to do what was in the flow of the game, only 10 shots. You'd like to see him probably take 15, 16 even with DeMar DeRozan out. But that's what's interesting to me and like to, to bring it back to our original point here, like the Bulls and point guard sweepstakes. Like, I don't know. The the one part to me that would be interesting about Russ Westbrook um, tied to the Bulls is what would happen with Patrick Williams playing with him, right? Like, would that, you would at least get a read what a point guard who breaks down a defense does for Patrick Williams, but I don't think it elevates the rest of the team enough to justify it. But at some point, that's why the, the DeRozan thing was interesting to me too, is just how do the Bulls operate as a team stylistically when he's out and you saw when they did move the ball, like it was fun. Like it hummed more. Mm -hmm. The ball stopped less. Mm -hmm. And IO took advantage of that too. Like he kind of knifed his way to the hoop on a handful of occasions in that game and got some open shots too. So that's how you see it play out a little more when DeMar's out.
2: Cody Westerland. Thank you. I know you're going to be busy the next day or so. Thanks.
4: Yep. Take care guys. That is
2: Cody Westerland. And I got a little detail here from Sham Sharania. The Indiana Pacers, as part of the Milwaukee acquisition of Jay Crowder for the Nets, it's a three-way. The Pacers are acquiring the Bucks Jordan Noora and two second rounders, and the Pacers are waving Goga Bataze.
3: Good. He deserves to it's be waved. It's about waived. damn time you wave
2: Goga Bataze. As we've, as we've long said, the long-standing th- belief of this show has been that, and it's finally been. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Well,
3: we'll get him out of here, and we'll get Gene Sterator in here. We'll take a timeout, and we'll do that next. We'll talk about officiating on the score.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s. It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fees. 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply ctmobile.com after the end of a good fight you deserve a nice cold reward
5: Bernstein at Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670. The score in Odyssey Station. I think for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. There are over 42,000 plays in a season. Multiple infractions could occur on any play. Take that out and extrapolate that. That's hundreds, if not millions, of, of, of potential fouls. And our officials do an extraordinary job of getting those.
2: All right, that was Roger Goodell yesterday saying nice things about the the much put upon NFL officials who have to, you know, they, 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 they take a whole lot of grief and they have to still have other jobs. Let's talk some officiating with Gene Steratore, who is on Twitter at Gene Steratore, former NFL referee and the rules analyst for the Westwood One coverage of Super Bowl 57 that you are going to listen to right here on 670 The Score Sunday beginning at 1 p.m. Gene's with us on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas,
3: home of the world's largest sportsbook. Hi, Gene.
5: Hi, guys. How are you doing?
3: We're doing really well. And there's a lot of questions that we have about officiating, obviously, and we're glad that you're going to be a part of the Super Bowl coverage and you're nice enough to join us. How would you describe what NFL officiating has been like this season?
5: It, it, it's always a challenge, guys. Uh, uh, no pun intended, from the seat I sit in right now. Uh, it, but but we've had our moments, right? And I and I think really collectively, what we have seen in, in some cases is our uh, plays that may have been missed. That uh, that we kind of look at really and you know from the house and say, boy, I don't know how you can miss this call. Uh, and I think when those unfortunate situations occur, and I don't think they're happening at a at an extremely high rate, but when you talk about perception and, and how is it being viewed from 10,000 feet, uh, when you have a, a, an obvious play during a contest that is that is missed, uh, we know that now every other close call that's going to be decided upon during this contest, we are not going to side with the side of the people in the stripes now. All of a sudden, all of those 50-50 plays, they missed those too, so let's throw them all in the same bucket uh, that's part of the officiating challenge that occurs week in and week out for crews. And then if that would unfortunately happen in two or three games on a weekend, we know now the entire weekend has been, uh, you know, disrupted by two or three decisions that happen, and now the whole staff isn't good. Uh, so, so that is always something that is on officials' minds for sure, and it's the sensitive part of doing this business. You, you, you don't want to miss the layups right you've got to get the obvious things right and if you don't you know that for the remainder of that contest it's going to be a long day and you're really in, not that officials get much love at any time uh but you're going to get even less uh you know when those things occur uh But when the commissioner makes a comment that he's made, he's privy to the data of how they're they're graded. And and they are graded. We were graded extremely detailed every week, every play, three different camera angles, every official graded from three angles at least on every play of every week. Uh, And those levels of efficiency and that data, the commissioner is privy to. I'm not at this current current time, so... uh, He's obviously gotten that data to make a statement that he's made.
2: When you say make the layups, I think you're allowed to make the the basketball cross sport comp certainly because of your experience as a basketball official. So you're uh, you're allowed that latitude, counselor. What is <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what what was the hardest call for you? What in what in your career was one aspect of the game that was the most difficult in real time for you to determine foul or no foul?
5: Um, You know, it really wasn't foul or no foul. And I was in the game before pass fumble with the quarterback, and that's my position specific, right, was action on the quarterback as a referee. That was a very difficult bang-bang decision to make when we didn't have replay to come back in and take a look at, was his arm moving forward, right, by that camera frame with control, or did he lose control and push a loose ball five yards down the field? So that play was always one that was really, really, really difficult to do in real time. Uh and and these referees and myself included as my career evolved, uh, that was one that, in all honesty, you know, you always want to try to get it right on the field, right? I mean that's that's the challenge of the of being an athlete. And and being an athlete and in an officiating uniform is the same thing. You want those bang bang plays. So you're looking for those uh, you want that decision if you're out there in the right frame of mind. Uh, that play was always really difficult to rule on in real time. You almost had to have a feel, a little feel of it, uh, because it just happened so quickly. So that was one on the football end that that for me was uh, was a really challenging play. Constantly, the others, the holds, whether they're holding or whether they're not holding, is this enough for roughing the passer? You know, you you just you hone your skill. You you. Uh, you you look at the levels of restriction that aren't holding, in your opinion, and then make that decision now whether that restriction is materially affecting this opponent's ability to continue to play within the rule. So those judgments were being made, and uh, and I think the commissioner alluded to something very, very uh, you know, important yesterday. 47,000 plays, probably four or five decisions by every official on the field during each one of those 47,000 plays. So, uh, when you talk about how quickly your computer has to be navigating decisions that don't involve a whistle or a flag, uh, then hopefully, you know, the human element kicks in from, from an outside person and goes, "Wow, I never thought of it like that." But boy, they are processing an awful lot of information in a short period of time. You know uh, that, That's the challenge. That, oh. That's the challenge, like collectively.
3: Okay, Jim, I'm with you on that. Which which why I kind of like the summary like video judgment that was starting to happen around the league this year where coaches didn't have to use a challenge and the they, the officials would get together and maybe someone from New York would say, "No, nah, you know, that's an incomplete pass." Why has that been so inconsistent because it seemed like something that was going in the right direction for the league.
5: Well, it's a good question. And listen, the technology is in, is, you know, is, is moving fast in so many things in our lives. And this is no different, right? We have better, better high def. We have bigger screens. We have 200 plus frames per second. You know, then you ask yourself this question, uh, anything short of a perfectly officiated game. And, and especially in a fan's chair, right. Is unacceptable. Uh, Nothing else in life that we do is unacceptable with some level of imperfection in it. But in this officiating world we live in, when it requires a, you know perfection and nothing short of, we are very, we're not very tolerant of any human error. Okay, so let's enhance technology. Let's get those small samples of plays that are really quick, and we get it, and let's fix them. And let's do it expeditiously so that the coach doesn't have to throw a flag on an obvious miss and use one of his challenges for that, knowing that if he misses the second one on a play, it's really close, but he has to challenge it or answer 100 questions after the game. He has to throw the flag. It's not correct. And now this coach is out of any challenges or the use of technology outside of New York, uh, you know, coming down for obvious ones or inside the last two minutes. This coach is now out of challenges. So I think as we continue to move forward to that, and then I also think you ask yourself this, guys, what's clear and obvious now to you? How many times does the Sky Judge get involved? Hey, they got involved on this last play that was illegal hands to the face. We all saw it. But look at this play that happened five plays later, and on the third replay we saw that this player on the other side of the line of scrimmage, he actually had his hand in the face too. Why didn't we stop that one? Where does that end? Where do we go? What are the unintended consequences of adding more technology? That's a challenge that the league will constantly deal with as we continue to increase uh, the technological, you know, interventions. And uh, and I think that's where we're headed. And I think they also need to take a look in all seriousness with how we do the challenging system when now we can get involved from another area without that system, uh, what do we do with the challenge system? I'm an advocate of looking at the way college does it now. Teams call a timeout. They request the review on the previous play. If they're wrong, you lose your timeout. If you're right, you get your timeout back, and we continue to play football. Uh, there's not this, you've got to get two out of two to get a third, uh, or those elements in there. So I think as we continue <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, to enhance technology and the way it's working within the system, We also have to continue to look at a lot of other, uh, you know, unintended things where that will take us. Uh, And that's what's been occurring since replay became uh, an integral part of officiating. We're watching it in college basketball. It's grown. Uh, The replay rule book went from 10 pages 20 years ago to 70 or 80 plus pages now. Uh, So that's going to continue to happen. We just, and I'm sure that's what the competition committees talk about, right? Uh, Where do we put the boundary now as we navigate and added a couple more things? What did that create? That's the world we're in right now.
2: Gene Sterador, I wish we had more time. I know we don't appreciate you taking some uh, for us today. Thank you.
5: Thank you, fellas. Have a wonderful day. That is
2: Gene Steratore, former NFL referee. The rules analyst for Westwood One's coverage of Super Bowl 57. That's right here on the score. You can tell
3: he's running out of voice that he's been doing the car wash and that he's running out of voice. Yeah, whiteboard for people what the car wash is. So like you're doing interviews all like Gene has probably been on, I would guess, seven major market stations this morning. And you hear him and you can tell like he's towards the end of his day when it comes to interviews. So he's doing that where he's sitting there in a room and there's a publicist like from from Westwood One going, now you're going to be on with these two idiots in Chicago. And he's like, all right, let me talk with the two idiots in Chicago. And And the publicists are so nervous if you could
2: just harness you you could you could power the grid by harnessing the nervous energy of the publicists who are just constantly like looking it's at it's so true at, like three different phones and twitching and it's got to go got to go you know, guys Like has got to go yeah one eye uh, you know he's got to uh, get on a dc yeah one one eyelid is is Flickering, and the other like their earlobes are on fire, and it's and it's the Super Bowl. They're they're looking over the shoulder constantly. Guys, he's got to
3: get on with the sports animal on time. <laughs> Nasty <laughs> Nestor can't wait. Schmingus <laughs> and the Goop are on in five minutes, and you got to get over there. Look, <laughs> I mean, it's- look, you guys know how JT the Brick is. If he doesn't get his guest on in time, oh, but it's just it's. I mean, it's one
2: thing to be to do. And Ray's laughing because he knows they're, they're they're so nervous.
3: They're just they're so. Ray, Ray's laughing because he used to get that that call about man cow. Oh god, <laughs>
2: <laughs> those stories.
0: It was Dustin that had to deal with the, those calls. I was just that's right. Slowly, oh my god, it's two tape of guy. you. Both of you. That's it's right.
3: Two. Two EPs here at the score. we on the Man Cow show. I,
0: I was on, uh, I was on, hey, uh, Man Cow sending me to get his brakes changed uh, one time. I was on coffee detail. I was on, uh, get the, get the, the audio.
2: Changed.
0: Wait, I drove around in Man Cow's car for a day. What kind of car? It was a uh, a Dodge, what was it, a Dodge Charger? Cha- a Charger, yeah, yeah a Dodge of course, Charger. Of course it
3: was. Perfect. That's exactly what Hell I yeah. imagined he would drive. That is perfect. Perfect.
0: Get my brakes changed. Okay. Make sure you do a good job. I don't see, want a problem with my brakes. Go get them.
3: Now, see, when you started that story, I'm sitting there going, that seems like a really big responsibility for a young producer to go to the PD and get the brakes changed. Oh,
2: B-R-E-A-K-S. Actually changed the schedule.
3: Right. Of where the, 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 the commercial the break. You mean
2: B-R. The He's talking <laughs> about the brakes he's like, I mean, He said,
3: oh, I got the car. I'm like, oh. Yep. Well, that's about right. Get them changed, or get them like serviced. And- serviced, yeah. Okay. You know what's crazy? Like the two of us feel bad when like they have to go get like coffee and stuff. It's a different. man. It's so different. The world, the the radio world, is so different now. Well, it
2: it was the the tone was set in the day. It was like it was it was all the the, the BS of of blowholes like Copic. And, and and just the the way interns were treated and the way producers were treated as as just like valets and lackeys yes! and there was a little bit of that with North and Jesse and then it's like "that's all right I tip them big I give them a big bonus" and and it was just but the miserable the the the, the dehumanizing stuff that that radio producers were expected to have to go through was it, just it was just awful and, and, and dumb.
3: Yeah and abusive And I mean li- he literally worked with a guy named turd.
0: I, I was right after the turd era. I, I was right after.
2: That. I, I guess. I guess I, I, I was somewhat of a pioneer because in in for years we had. I had the producer that would abuse us. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. There was. Yes, we had, we had the exact opposite where we had a colon and, and then and you he'd know, come in here and beat your ass right, and and B Mac sort of you know, learned that from him. That we had the we we had the uh, the completely different direction in that relationship and it worked out great.
3: You know. It, it it's very different like I, I mean when I started here at the score I was given some of those responsibilities but I was always treated pretty okay whether it was north or or McNeil <laughs> well, that's that's a different part of my career okay, phone but phone but but jigs would always we joke about it but he would always take care of you like if you went on a run for jigs he'd take care of you and Jigs knew enough people where, like, you get stuff just yeah. because you knew Dan Jiggins. Well,
2: Jigs, Jigs would turn on the microphone. There's that to say, like, I need somebody to repave my driveway. And then poof! <laughs> like, someone's repaving you, you, the driveway. You can't do that. Like, that is. You can't do that! <laughs> that is expressly forbidden. It's like, by the way, Mike, my
6: gutters need cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's, that's
2: that's that's baller stuff to do that. I mean, dro- dropping coded hints to that kind of thing is one thing, but and it's still not my favorite.
3: Well, he he was a good um. example of how to do that. Like how you you're able to <laughs> not that part, but how you handle having someone like go get something for sure. you because you couldn't do it. And he was doing like two jobs I know. and stuff. I,
2: know. I, I just, it, it was so my, my favorite though. My absolute favorite. The different where, orders. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where on the air, they'd take a lunch order. Not off the air, on the air, like in the middle of anything. It's like you think stuff we do in the talk back. If you make a Starbucks runner, it's like, "Hey, Mitch is getting coffee. Who wants what?" Like <laughs> Jesse would say, "I'm going over to Sammy's. Who what? What do you want for oh, lunch?" God, I miss and then, Sammy's. And, oh, so great. And then and then you know, like like Jen Freeman would be like, "Wet beef," and then Mike would be like, uh, "Yeah, give me a beef jarred And there," and J- Jigs, Jigs would say, "I'll have a I'll have a Greek salad." <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, Greek, the
2: Greek salad with the pita on the side, and then, in the talk back, he would you'd he, go too Polish with everything <laughs> cheese fries <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: like,
2: like there was there was the on air order I don't know in case his wife was listening yes! his daughters were listening hundred right? <laughs> percent
3: then they've been trying to keep that man alive <laughs> I know.
2: but then the real order would come in. I miss Sammy's, too. I do. I, uh, that, there, you know what? That's the last pizza puff I've had. Really? That is the last time I had a pizza puff. It was probably 1998. Was that,
3: was that Fat Dan? When was Fat
4: Yo, Dan? Oh, yeah.
2: That was pre-knee injury. Yeah, that was Tony Stewart-looking Fat Dan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. You see my wedding pictures, man. That was, yeah. I like
3: that picture that you showed me the other day. You know, with the two of you and Jason in his hockey gear.
2: Oh, that's a great. It's a professional picture. Yeah, so we frame yeah, that. We, picture. Yeah, we look good.
3: You guys look great, and he looks tall
2: because he's on skates. Yeah, he you know? looks
3: tall, and I know that he stinks. Oh my god, the, we're taking this picture. Senior day,
2: and we're taking this picture. And seriously, like we skate over to him, and I've got—I'm trying to choke back tears. I'm really—I'm trying. Wait, to,
3: were you actually on skates? No, no, you were just sliding. No, we walked. They
2: had—they had, they put a red carpet out there. Oh, okay. The, by the way, Fifth Third did a real—they they were so nice. The people at Fifth Third really making our our senior night feel very very special and we hired a photographer to take the pictures and you know I, you're, I'm shuffling out because I was also I had the microphone and I was doing the announcements of all the players so I sort of stuck the mic in the, in my back pocket cuz it was our turn to take the picture and I go over there and it's like my my eyes are watering yeah it's bad he, I, he we're smiling but in that all I can think about when I look at that picture is like it's, it's, he smelled like a hippopotamus
3: ass well the I mean, thing it is that he just, probably doesn't smell it's no, just a pads all,
2: all the hockey players are nose blind but, no, yeah. but i mean like oh, it, it's, it's, it's not that he it's stinks, the heat the it's it's the, the, it's the, F- it's the yeah. chest pads yeah it's the oh it's just vile like in the garage when it airs out you don't really get but i mean if, if i would if i were the opposing team i would i would not try to get close to the goal because you're gonna take one breath and drop dead
3: yeah it's it's really
2: oh gross. it's so gross
3: it's really Terrible,
2: it's so, and and when you have the bag and the car and everything, and, and it's like my wife's SUV. It's not a trunk; it's just the back. So at least when I take in my car, the all the equipment is actually in the trunk. Right, it doesn't affect away from it, right. Everything. It doesn't affect the cabin of the car. And after a season, it's like the combination. of... I don't even know how you clean it. Vinegar or, or there's the uh, what you would call it funk away. There's any any number of those things can try Someone to cool on the line. It's brutal. It's so brutal. But the, and then and then the combination with all the driving and the fast food is you get like that. Oh, you get the Mc, oily the Mc, McDonald's fries mm-hmm. and the Culver's wrapper. And you got to feed the, them like after games because they've expended and, and so and the, much energy. And the, and the Popeyes chicken sandwich wrapper and that combined. Like if I ever. Have that comp- Like, that's what hockey smells like to are, me.
3: So, are we thinking, you know, Jason makes it to Bucknell, are we thinking full details on the cars? Like, y- you and Beth go get full details, like, the weekend after? Oh, so, I'll the cars th- smell great?
2: Trade it in and, and lease a new <laughs> one.
3: Burn the car. Set it on fire like Angela Bassett. Like Just yeah. burn it.
2: <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I mean... Hey, it's hey, like that Seinfeld episode with the valet.
3: It still smells. Oh, it smells. still smells, yeah. Hey, Mike, uh, uh, is there anything that, that we're doing as host with you as a producer that years from now you'd be like, God, I hate those guys? No. I mean, are Just you honestly. saying that because we're on the air right no, now? No, I, I was
2: honestly thinking about that as you were talking. No.
3: All right, I want to make sure because we want this to be a good environment for you to create and stuff. Sometimes – Hosts don't make it easy for producers to create. But we've had like a bunch of powerful like producers, like yeah. back to back to back to back. Maddie and Jason mm-hmm. and Tanny. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of like powerful dudes that, that are sitting in the chair. And Shane and Well, Shane's a crazy person. Like right. he's his he's his own
2: thing. Right. Uh, that that's that's a that's a kind of a unicorn when it comes to
3: that. Yeah. And he's got all the tattoos and stuff. But all right, I'm glad that that we aren't I am looking forward to. I I will enjoy coming back like ten years from now, and Mike Rankins, you know, host an afternoon drive or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, Burstein and Holmes. Let me tell you about those two idiots. Oh, the they thought that forty dollars was too much for a salad."
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that conversation. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: We've got high noon coming up. If if you are in in Porter County, Indiana, it's too much. I, I've 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 got a woman around whom you need to be
3: careful. Tread lightly. Oh, I have an NFL player that agrees with one of the things I came up with last week. I'll do that next. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then, right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace alone. Yeah, right.
0: When? High
2: noon. We've reached high noon on a Thursday. We talked Bulls and NBA to start all the wackiness last night and all that is still going on throughout the day. A bunch of minor trades that we've been following today, trying to keep you apprised of everything that's going on as it happens. And we also talked about Demar Smith and him floating the idea of getting rid of the scouting combine because of... What it's doing to just sort of harvest medical data and pull these guys out of school. I'm not sure I bought the structure of his entire argument, but I understand where he's going with it. I wouldn't mind uh, making the scouts work a little bit harder in that regard. And I, I wouldn't mind doing away with the entire draft because the whole idea of it is kind of imposed in a, in a way that is it's against American freedoms is what it is. It's not right. So that was just a little thought exercise that we did. Cody Westerland gave us some Bulls thoughts, and then Gene Steratore discussed officiating.
3: All right, I'm going to go two for one here because we're pressed for time. Christian McCaffrey agrees with me, Dan, that what you should do is that you should reinstitute the third quarterback rule. Now, obviously, he had a vested interest in this because he was the guy that was going to be asked to be playing quarterback in the NFC title game. Very simple. The NFL used to be 45 plus one on game day rosters. Then teams were like, well, I'd rather have an extra linebacker. I'd rather have an extra lineman. Can we just call it 46 and we can do whatever we want with our rosters? So a lot of rosters just went to two quarterbacks on game day. I think it should be 46 plus one where you do have a quarterback. And if you want to just do it in the playoffs, so be it. A quarterback that is in reserve. So at least the team has a chance of of rallying in a game when they they don't. So I'm glad that Christian McCaffrey sees it my way. I appreciate that. It's a good thing and tasty. Now, the other part? Yes. Dan, have you ever wondered? No, nah, you've never wondered. He's never wondered how Stone Cold Steve Austin came up with his name. <laughs> Correct. I have not. And
2: so it's what? Okay,
6: Steve, we'll think about it. <laughs> and they faxed me three pages of worst names I'd ever seen in the history of my life. Three of the names which stood out were Otto von Ruthless, Ice Dagger, and Fang McFrost. And man, they don't get no more suck ass than that. So I'm sitting there looking at these three pages of dog. My wife, who's from England at the time, makes me a cup of hot tea. She goes, "I don't worry about you, Steve. You'll think of something. Just go ahead and drink the tea before it gets stone cold." So anyway, I called the office up and I said, I want to be called Stone Cold Steve Austin and I want to be from Victoria, Texas. I was born in Austin, but being Stone Cold Steve Austin from Austin would be dumb. Victoria had that, je ne I say I like to say to it. And I said, okay, Steve, we'll run it by Vince. Well, they ran it by events, and I guess Vince said, hey, whatever. Anyway, to get back to my story, I remember making my debut and Scott Hall came up to me and says, what's with the Stone Cold thing? Nobody got it. I didn't put the look together. I didn't have the attitude yet. and I just had a badass name. So I said, man, it's just, you know, stone cold. One night in Pittsburgh, I was traveling with gold dust. We are at the hotel room. We was about to build a building. And then just on a whim, I went in the bathroom and I shaved my head. And uh, I walked out of the bathroom. He goes, man, what would you shave your head for? I said, man, what the f-? You know, it's this long anyway. I just go ahead and shave it off. So anyway, I shaved my head off. And I kind of started experimenting with a little facial hair. Finally grew in the goatee. And that's when I had that luck that I needed to have from Stone Cold Steve Austin.
3: I love how he sounds. He's so great. And you have to understand that he was stunning Steve. Mean Green, right? Isn't that uh, yeah, from he's, Layla's alma mater? He's, but his, his whole persona was, uh, with, I believe, were they the Hollywood blondes? So it was like pink trunks and blonde hair. Oh. Before he became Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, a total reinvention. I it's a know. complete reinvention okay. of him as a as a wrestler. And I also because they did like uh, cartoons, like when they do these story times, like they do the cartoons with it. So like the idea of him and Gold Dust in a hotel room, because Gold Dust, who is Dusty Rhodes' son, is one of the more strange and and outgoing and effervescent characters that's ever been done in wrestling pretty funny stuff. So if you ever wondered how Stone Cold Steve Austin got his name, that's how. He's the second the second most famous alum of North Texas. Next to Layla.
2: Stay away or steer clear and watch yourself when you're around Zephanie Pennywell. Zephanie with a Z. Zephanie Pennywell. She's 20 years old. This from Porter County, Indiana, courtesy of WGN-TV. She was arrested Tuesday after pulling a man in a violent manner. Oh. Just before 7.15 p.m., police responded. Well, did he deserve it? Maybe. All right, because I I
3: don't don't want to condemn
2: her. Oh, no, no. I'm not saying she's just running around doing it randomly. I'm just saying that that just you watch your step because she's not going to take any bs from you maybe maybe that that maybe guy he it coming. maybe he deserved i, it. I absolutely just before 7 15 p.m police responded to the 700 block of dearborn road in portage township and upon arrival police met with a caller a 26 year old valparaiso man who stated that he was in a verbal argument with zephanie pennywell 20 while in the kitchen the man told authorities pennywell chased him grabbed him by the shirt and then grabbed his penis in a violent manner The police report states Pennywell allegedly would not let go and began to pull. A roommate provided police video footage of the entire incident. She was later taken into custody at a bar in the 300 block of U.S. Route 6. And while at the bar, Pennywell told police she warned the man to stop antagonizing her.
3: She won't have to warn
2: him again. The police report states Pennywell admitted to the officer... That after failing to punch the man in the crotch, she did grab him in an attempt
3: to hurt him. Pennywell has been charged with battery. So there's a, a scene in the movie Friday after next where Cat Williams is in a dispute with Terry Cruz. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. And he's got a he's got a wrench. And he's got his newts. Well, she didn't have a wretch. I know, but I'm saying that's what instantly reminded me of. Of Cat Williams just dragging Terry Crews around by the newts.
2: <laughs> well, I mean,
3: look. Just maybe- I also like how like she is one-track mind. Like, she was either going to punch it or grab it or something. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not
2: judging anybody in this. I just wanted to point out. That this is this this was what he he she warned him. He she, was warned. She warned him, and and he didn't listen. She followed through on her warning. <laughs> and, and, and you you
3: now you got to see the
2: urologist. Yep. Now you need now you need some help.
3: Well, luckily it's still there, as far as we know. But you're gonna need some ice, and whatnot.
2: Let's talk football with Matt Bowen. We've talked a lot about the game itself and we're our X's and O's talk has gotten into some I, I was going to get to that with Gene Steratore actually but we, we ran out of time I was going to talk so to him so
3: much with, that we could have asked I him. know I wanted to talk to him about, about the sneak and officiating the sneak I wanted to talk to him about Justin Fields not getting calls
2: yeah right somebody's got to advocate for that but uh, Matt Bowen's got thoughts next on the score